0: Matthew chapter 1. Quick announcement before we get started. I uh, mentioned this last Sunday. Hey, if you are interested, uh, tomorrow uh, Dawn and I and the kids and family will be out here. We're going to just have uh, lunch out here for Christmas. So often there's people that say that they don't either have a place to go for Christmas or there are events. were are on different days. So Christmas is kind of a uh, nothing day for them in the sense of nothing going on. And we thought, why not just get together and come together as the body of Christ and come out and just have some food and some fellowship. So Dawn and I will be getting out here probably around 11-ish. Uh, eat around 11.30. We're bringing the ham. We're bringing a And uh, nap time's at 1. So we will be uh, coming on. I'm being serious. (laughs) So we we got a 22-month-old. Routine is important. So uh, the Lord is leading us for two hours <laughs> to be out here, and then we got to go back home for nap. But no, we'll then stay out for just a couple hours, and just come on out if you want. If you got nothing else to do, come on out. Just some nice, simple uh, food and fellowship, and just to come together as the body of Christ, if that interests you. No know RCP is required. If you got any questions, you can see me or my wife. And if you want to bring something, just go ahead and bring it out when you come, and hopefully come out and be blessed. So if you got any questions about that, let us know. It looks like, according to the forecast, the weather should not be an issue tomorrow, so we're not too concerned about that. But in case that is, just call us, text us, and we can hopefully point you in the right direction. Hey, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, as we're just here this morning, uh, very busy time of the year, and it's really easy to lose the focus of even what the point of the time of the year is. So for right here, right now, we want to let everything go and just really focus on you and learn of you and learn from what happened 2,000 years ago and how it applies to us today. Let us not just talk about it, but to live it in all that we say and all that we do in your name. Amen. All righty. Uh, we had our Christmas program a couple weeks ago, so we kind of stopped our study in the book of Acts. And we did a, a study there in Luke, just understanding a little bit of what was going on with the Christmas story. And then last Sunday, I didn't want, to, want us to jump back into Acts, knowing that we'll probably do something special there. So we did some other studies in Matthew and Luke. So we have covered Mary, we've covered the birth of Jesus, but we've never talked about Joseph yet. And that's what I want to do this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew 1. And we're going to learn about Joseph. So Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel," which is translated, "God with us." Then Joseph, being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him to his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is one of those good guys in the Bible that we really just don't know a lot about. A lot about. And one of the most important passages here that you're going to see is this. Verse 24, Joseph being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did it. Didn't question it, didn't fight it, didn't argue it, did it. Now, to fully understand and grasp what just happened, because we're so used to hearing this story, you have to go back in time 2,000 years ago and understand this. We have mentioned this before. We've taught on this before, but it bears repeating. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. We have to understand what that word betrothed means. It doesn't mean engagement. What we think about today with wedding engagements is not a betrothal in any way whatsoever. Let's go back in time a couple thousand years ago and talk about what would have been happening at this time. Now, we don't know for sure because there were marriages and weddings that were arranged where the bride and groom did not know each other. That did happen. But it was also not uncommon to grow up in the same town, at the same place, in the same area. It would not be uncommon in any way whatsoever that these local people would find out that they're both pregnant at the same time. And so therefore, Joseph's parents and Mary's parents may have known each other, and they both may have been pregnant at the same time. And so Joseph is born, Mary is born, and the parents at a very young age would look at each other and say, this makes sense, your daughter and my son should get married. And so from very young age... They were going to get married. They were engaged. And they would write up a legal agreement of how much it would cost, what they would trade animal-wise, good-wise, etc., dowry. All this would be planned out from a very young age. So Joseph and Mary, quite possible, could have grown up with each other knowing, that's going to be my wife, because that's the way it was done. So it's quite possible they've known each other for a very long time. And this is the way the system worked. You would be engaged, and then when you'd reach a young age, maybe 13 or 14 you would now become betrothed. Betrothed was a legally binding ceremony. You are married at this time. You do not share a marriage bed, you do not share a house, but you are married. So therefore, when they are betrothed to one another in verse 18, they are married legally. And what happens at this time is once you are now betrothed, you are married, but you don't share a house or a bed yet, the husband at this time goes and builds a house. And so what happens is, Joseph at this time would be building a house for him and Mary. Please remember all those verses that Jesus said, I go in to prepare a place for you. See, Jesus was making a comment here about this idea of we're going to be married. We are married now, but there comes a time for eternity when we're together. So Joseph, at this time in this betrothal process, legally is married to Mary, and he is building a house for her. And when the house is done, the way it works, the father of the groom goes to the groom and says, your house is done, now go get your wife. You can see the symbolism here of God the Father in Christ and the rapture in the church. And so what would happen is the bride does not know when it's happening. I mean, sure, you see the signs of it. Sure, you hear the hints of it. But you don't know for sure. And so now there's this big party where everybody says, Joseph is going to go get Mary his wife. And everybody would come out and celebrate. And everybody there would not be guests. They would be witnesses to what's going on. And what a beautiful picture that would be. So at this time... Joseph is betrothed to Mary. He's probably building a house for her. They're excited. They're wondering and waiting. Can't you see how probably Mary and his girlfriends, her girlfriends, were probably talking, walking by saying, hey, I saw the house, Mary. Joseph is really moving along on it. It could be any time now. Any time. And they'd be excited. They'd be talking. Joseph would be like, oh, this is what it's going to look like. And there would be this anticipation. There'd be this excitement. There'd be this wondering, this waiting. Then all of a sudden... Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. It kind of changes everything. So in the midst of finding out that she's pregnant, and don't worry, it's God's son. Don't worry about that. And don't worry, I picked out the name for him already. Call him named Jesus. Everything completely changes. Now these guys are, once again, probably 14 years old. Maybe 13, maybe 50. They're probably at the oldest middle teens, not late teens. So when you think of the Christmas story, you've got to think of a 14, 15-year-old guy and girl that has had their world completely turned upside down. Completely changes everything. And when you look at it from that perspective, it really changes how we look at stuff. And what I want to do is this. I want us to set the tone this morning. This is kind of what the Lord does. This is Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 4. You don't need to turn there, but he says this. He says, our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools. Think about that. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. But look at that wording there. Paul says, I'm a fool and I'm crazy as long as it brings glory to God. Here, Mary and Joseph are put in a position where they're going to look crazy and they're going to look like fools. Because please, once again, put yourself in this perspective now. Now you're not in the perspective of Mary and Joseph. You are now the people that know them. You are now the people that have been watching Joseph prepare his house. You are the people that have known Mary and Joseph ever since they were little kids. And you're excited for them. And all of a sudden, you see Mary. And guess what's happening to Mary? Her belly is starting to get a little bigger. And so what's all of a sudden happening is, what's going on? Because this isn't a wedding where you have a guest list. Everybody comes. Well, there was no ceremony. They're still betrothed. So now your mind starts wondering, well, one of a couple things happened here, Mary and Joseph. Either something happened with you two, or something happened with somebody else. And so this is now you put yourself in the position of Joseph, verse 19, not wanting to make her a public example and minded to put her away secretly. Joseph could have brought Mary before the elders of the town and brought the law up and said she should be stoned to death. Because this is not my child. He could have done that. But verse 19, he's a just man. He's a good man. He's an upright man. He's also a teenager. Joseph's quite the guy. And so therefore, he's building this house. And all of a sudden, that house completely stops. They were planning on this great marriage. I mean, that completely stops. See, at this time, you got to remember what also is going on. These people are poor. Very poor. You would spend every extra ounce of food preparing for this feast. You'd be preparing wine for this. This would be a huge deal. and some Jewish traditions that if a man had a daughter from the day of her birth, he already starts preparing the drink for the wedding because it's that big a deal. All of this now is completely suddenly put on hold because as Paul said, God wanted to do something crazy that sometimes makes us look like a fool. But what is everybody going to think of Joseph and Mary? Now, you don't know the story. You don't know that an angel appeared to Joseph, an angel appeared to Mary. It's really God's son. It's the Savior. No. You see a couple of kids and you just start making opinions about them. That's what we do. Haven't we done that before? I've joked about this before, that there's a gift of the Spirit that people think they have that is not mentioned in the Bible in any way whatsoever. And it's the gift of the Spirit of being able to read people's minds. I hear people say this all the time. Well, I know what he's thinking. How do you know that? I know why he did it. How do you know that? Oh, I'm sure I know what he's telling her right now. What? No, you don't. You may think you do. You may have evidence, but you don't know. Look at Mary Jo's. Oh, I know what they did. No, you don't. You don't. I'll give you a quick story about this. Uh, it's been a while ago. I was uh, getting groceries. I was at Walmart. And you know how sometimes when you are getting groceries, you kind of start with the person, you kind of go through the aisle at the same time? So I ended up starting with this uh, young mom, and she had a son with her. I'm guessing he was about seven years old. And he was quite the kid. Very loud, very rambunctious, uh, no shoes on, digital device in his hand, very loud, volume up, just very loud, very everything. And he was always getting into trouble. And she was just so calm, just pushing the cart, taking care of him. And eventually he ended up, and I'm not making this up, he climbed out of his cart and stood on the hot dog section. At Walmart, So he was in the little cooler section, jumping up and down on the hot dogs. So remember that the next time you purchase hot dogs. <laughs> and at that time, you know what my mind did? Uh, if I could just have a little bit of time to sit down and explain to this mom biblical discipline. If I could just have a little bit of time to show her what Proverbs says about raising children. If we could just have a little bit of time to figure all this out. right? Because I know what's going on. I got it all figured out. She was so calm. She was so quiet. Here's this kid. Now fast forward a little bit later. We were asked to do respite uh, for some foster kids, and we were so excited. And so we got these foster kids, and they were just cute, adorable, etc. And then five minutes later, next thing you know, they would spit, they would hit, they would throw things at you. I remember one time putting the one down for a nap, came up behind me and punched me right in the back. Now, be spit at, thrown at, yelled at, screamed at. We never took him out of the house. Because if I would take him to Walmart, guess what everybody would think of me? So now I look back at this mom and I think, I don't know anything about her. She may be a foster mom. She may be the neighbor lady that looks at this boy and says, this boy's got the worst life ever. And if I could just take him for an hour to Walmart and give the mom a break. You know what I mean? We don't know. So we look at Mary, we look at Joseph, we look at the growing belly, we look at, well, where's the ceremony? What's going on? And we start forming opinions and thinking, we're really, she's carrying the Savior of the universe. And Joseph is such a good, godly man. He is not taking her in front of the elders. He is not picking up stones. And he's loving her. We would never know that. We would never see that. God sometimes likes to do things, as Paul said, that is crazy and foolish. Let's talk about this a little bit. Can you go with me to Ezekiel, please? Ezekiel. If you've never studied out the Old Testament prophets, it's a lot of fun. When I say this term, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God is a showman. Now, when I say he's a showman, it doesn't mean he does circus acts to get your attention. I don't mean that in any way whatsoever. But he would do what he needs to do to make sure his point comes across. Take a look at the plagues of Egypt as you go to Ezekiel chapter 3. The plagues of Egypt were there to get attention, to bring glory to God. This is something the Lord does. And when you read the Old Testament, you see God using these prophets and very strange ways, to use Paul's wording, very foolish, crazy ways to get their point across. These prophets in the Old Testament were respected men, and when they would speak and do something, they may not agree with their message, they may not listen to their message, but they would give the time of day to at least hear their message. And sometimes the Lord did some very strange things to get his point across. Let's look at the ministry of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 26. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. How's that for a ministry? Ezekiel, I'm going to close up your mouth. When I want you to say something, you can speak. But until then, it's not going to be. That's actually really not a bad thing. Can you imagine if your mouth would only open when the Lord had something to use you for and to say things? How much trouble would we save ourselves from? So here you go, Ezekiel, this is your ministry. Now what are you going to do? Verse 1, chapter 4, You also, son of man, take a clay tablet, lay it before you, and portray it on a city of Jerusalem. Take a clay tablet, Ezekiel, draw Jerusalem on it. Okay? Verse 2, lay siege against it, build a siege wall against it, heap up a mound against it, set camps at it also, place battering rams against it all around. Okay. Now take your drawing, Ezekiel, and put little armies around it. Put little siege towers, little battering rams. Verse 3. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it, and it shall be besieged, and you shall lay siege against it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. So now you've got your little toys set up, Ezekiel, and everybody's going to walk by and say, Oh, look at that. That's a picture of Israel. Oh, look at the battering rams. Oh, I get the picture, right? That doesn't seem very foolish and crazy. Verse 4. Lie also on your left side, And lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. Okay, now lay on your left side, Ezekiel, right by it. And you're going to lay there the number of days of sin that the northern tribes have caused. Verse 5. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days. So you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. Hey, Ezekiel, go lay on your left side for 390 days beside your little pitcher. So that way when everybody walks by and they say, what are you doing? It's a symbolic picture of the sin the northern tribes have put upon themselves and the punishment that is coming to them. And what happens after that? Verse 6, And when you have completed them, lay again on your right side, now representing the kingdom of Judah. And you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Therefore, you shall set your face towards the siege of Jerusalem. Your arms shall be uncovered, and you shall prophesy against it. So for 390 days, lay on your left side, Ezekiel, flip over, and then go lay on your right side to represent this. Ezekiel, this is how much I love the nation of Israel, that here is a grown, respected man of God in front of his little town he built, and you're going to go lay there for over a year to get their point across, get their attention, because that's how much I love them. That's crazy. That's foolish, right? What else happens? Verse 9, now take some food, and he takes barley, beans, lentils, mullet, etc., and this is going to be your bread that you're going to eat for 390 days. If you look at those ingredients, that's not the best ingredients. And you shall do it by weight, verse 10, you're not going to get a lot of it. And you get to eat it from time to time. Not every day, not all the time. Because I also need you to eat a different diet, Ezekiel, to show them that during this siege... All their goods, all their produce, it's not going to be what they want. They won't be in luxury. How about verse 11? You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of it. hen. From time to time, you shall drink. And plus, you're not going to have all the water you want. And you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. Once again, verse 12 is not a verse you see on a lot of Christian shirts. You shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. Yes, that means exactly what it says. When the nation of Israel is under siege, they will not have food, they will not have water, they will not have fuel to cook things, so therefore they will have to use human waste as their own fuel. Ezekiel, I want you to do this for 390 days, then flip over and do it on the other side. That's crazy. That's foolish. That's how much God loves Israel. Now, He's not asking us to do this. You know what He's asking us to do? Just be a witness to your neighbor. That's all He's asking. How about your co worker? How about these friends and family that you're going to see today and tomorrow that you may not see again until maybe uh, Resurrection Week or to maybe Thanksgiving or maybe even next Christmas? See, God's not calling you and I to go lay on our side for 390 days. He's just simply asking us to be open about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about happens next? Verse 13, And the Lord said, So shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles where I will drive them. And I said, ah, oh, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. Ezekiel says, I, God, I, I can't do this. This is, this is just wrong. This is unclean. Verse 15, that he said to me, see, I'm giving you cow dung instead of human waste. You shall prepare your bread over it. God says, okay, now you get to use cow dung. This is crazy. This is foolish. But that's how much he cares Verse 16, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and with dread. So Ezekiel, you're going to go do this for a year to represent me to these people. And that's not just it. Verse 17, they're going to lack bread, they're going to lack water, they're going to be dismayed. But look at verse uh, chapter 5. And you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor, pass it over your head and your beard, and take the scales to weigh and divide the hair. Now go shave your head and shave your beard, Ezekiel. Now, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. That is huge to a Jewish man. To have his head shaved and his beard shaved, that'd be dishonorable. That'd be disrespectful. This would be a big deal for him to shave his beard off. If you remember the story correctly, when David sent ambassadors to a foreign nation, and these ambassadors were roughed up a little bit, they were roughed up by shaving half their beards off. They were sent back and they were shamed. And David said, go into hiding until your beard grows back. That's how big of a deal it was. So here now is Ezekiel laying on his side, eating food cooked over cow dung, minimal food, with a shaved head and a shaved beard. Because that's how much God loves Israel. You would walk by that and say, What are you doing? I'm doing this because the Lord is saying judgment's coming. Are you ready for it? Are you prepared? And you're going to do this for 390 days and flip over and do the other side? Yeah, because that's what I'm willing to do. And then verse 2, I'm going to burn part of the hair. Or I'm going to throw part of the hair in the air, I'm going to cut part of the hair with the sword to show you that a third of you are going to be burned up in the siege. A third of you are going to be killed by the sword. And a third of you are going to be scattered. Once again, I'm not trying to belittle this point. God's not asking us to draw a picture of Hamler and put little guns around it and lay beside it for a year. He's just asking us to be open about our relationship with Christ who we run into. To be purposeful to when we go see people to say, I'm not here just to do this. I'm here to represent Jesus Christ. Because every time I do something, I'm on a little missionary on a missions trip. Because that's how important eternity is. And if God asks me to do something crazy, to do something foolish, Paul says, I'm crazy for the glory of God. I'm foolish to see you come into Jesus Christ. I can look back at, at Joseph and Mary and see two teenagers trying to figure this out. I can see Ezekiel laying on his side, trying to figure this out. And the Lord just wants me to be open about my faith. One more example about this, please. Can you go to Jeremiah 13? Jeremiah 13. I tell you, if you're the type of person you've ever looked at the Old Testament and say, it is so boring, oh my. There are so many fun little nuggets in here of what you can just see. Let's talk about what Jeremiah does in Jeremiah 13. What crazy, foolish thing is he willing to do for the Lord? Jeremiah 13, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. Now, this is where you have to stop for a second, depending on your translations, what that word sash means. Some people are going to interpret that as it's a sash, it's a belt. And it would be a belt that would be very big, very large, because that's what the priest and the people in the temple would wear. It was symbolic. If I remember correctly in the law, it would say, I think, like holiness to the Lord on it. Now, some of your translations are going to translate that word sash as loincloth, which is really saying it's underwear. So just follow this for a second. So put this on, verse 2, put it around your waist. Verse 1, don't wash it. Verse 3, And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So take this belt or this loincloth underwear, go to the river Euphrates. Now, if you have maps in the back of your Bible, you're going to see Jerusalem, and you may not even see the river Euphrates. Euphrates is from Babylon. See, this is a picture of the Babylonians. This would be possibly month's journey. So take a couple months off, Jeremiah, Walk to the river Euphrates, dig a hole, find a rock, hide your pair of underwear. Verse 5. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Okay, mission's trip done. Verse 6. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, take from the sash which I commanded you to hide there. So I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was a sash ruined and it was profitable for nothing. Hey, take a three-month journey and go dig it up now again. Why? Because it's supposed to show what? Verse 9, verse 8, excuse me. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord, in this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts, who walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be just like this sash which is profitable for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory, but they would not hear. Jeremiah, I need you to do this, because this shows how much I love Israel. Once again, Paul says, I'm crazy for Christ, I'm foolish for the Lord. If it brings a soul into the kingdom, are we willing to do it? Now, it needs to be spirit-led. It needs to be glorifying to the Lord. It needs to be biblical. Let's make sure we understand those points. But how often do we talk ourselves out of things? Oh, I don't know, Lord. This just seems so strange. This just seems so weird. I mean, it can't... We just read about a guy that laid on his side for 390 days. We just read about a guy that took a missions trip for a couple months to go hide possibly a pair of underwear. We just talked about a guy that was building a house for his wife and found out she's pregnant with God's own son teenage girl now that is pregnant with God's own son. I mean, we can keep on going down the list. Hosea. Do you remember the book of Hosea? Hosea is a great book. Hosea. So when your kid comes to you and says, I want to learn more about God. Oh, go read Hosea. Hosea chapter one. Hosea, go marry a prostitute for me. Could you do that? And then when the prostitute cheats on you, can you bring her back again? Because it's my love for Israel. And Hosea, you're going to have kids with her. And I want you to name the kids this. If you don't know Hosea's kid's name, first name your kid not loved. Then name your second kid, not my people. So Hosea, now go introduce your kids to people. Hi, would you like to meet my son, not loved? Would you like to meet my son, not my people? That's what Hosea's ministry was. And once again, the Lord is just asking us, can you represent me to co-workers, friends, family members, neighbors? Can we go fulfill the great commission of go therefore and make disciples? Can we open up our house to those that are in need? Can we maybe do a discipleship class with somebody? Can we maybe serve here? Can we do this? We look at all of what the Lord is asking us to do, and I go back and I read about Jeremiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Joseph, Mary, and I think, wow, Lord, wow, I just want to serve you. And if Paul says that means it's foolish, if that means it's crazy, I just need to accept that. Last passage, please, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Take a look here. Let's start um, in verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God is saying, come to me. I don't have any money. I don't have anything. The Lord says, I know. I'll still give it to you. Isn't that amazing? Salvation. What do I have to do? Nothing. It's a free gift. Okay, well, there's always a catch. Not with this one. Jesus took care of it on the cross. That's why he said it is finished. As we say out here almost every Christmas, please remember Christmas is the first day of a journey that lasts 33 years that ends in Jesus' death. That's the purpose of Christmas, where the Lord is saying, I want to come give you the food that you need for salvation, and I'm giving it to you for free. Verse 2, why do you spend for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? That's a great way. Why do you spend money, time, and energy on things in this world that bring you no satisfaction? Just read a great devotional yesterday by Greg Laurie is such a simple point. He says, in the next couple of days, we're going to open stuff up. And possibly a week from now, not even know where it's at. A year from now, not even remember what we got. How many of us have fretted over what to get somebody and then they don't even care? What is Isaiah saying here in verse 2? Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Careful what you invest your time, energy, and money in. Invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, come to me hear, and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Everlasting life. The sure mercies of David, indeed I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call the nation you do not know and nations who do not know you shall run to you. That's us guys. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you. Here it is. Here's your altar call. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verses 8 and 9, quit trying to figure out God. God says, my ways and my thoughts are so far above you. That's why I picked two teenagers to give birth to the Savior. That's why I had Ezekiel lay on his left side for over a year. That's why I had Jeremiah go bury the sash. Because it was going to serve a deeper purpose than what you could ever imagine. Can you imagine that the Lord talked to us and communicated to us almost as equals? Hey, Jeremiah, I got an idea. I want to run by you, Jeremiah. Would you mind wearing this for a while and then kind of going to the river Euphrates and burying it? What do you think of that? Well, of course not, no. Ezekiel, i got a great message topic for you. Why don't you lay on your side for 390 days? No. But the Lord says, my ways are above you, my thoughts are above you, and this is going to work out deeper than what you could ever imagine. And the same thing still happens today. When the Lord leads you to do something, we sit there and all of a sudden we become very logical. Well, I don't understand how this will work. I don't understand how this will make sense. This is not duty. So therefore, in our logic and wisdom, we shut the door. And the Lord says, but you don't see it. You don't see my ways. You don't see my thoughts that are higher than you. Trust me in this. And if the Lord is calling you to something here right now, I want to ask you to trust him. It may not make sense. As long as it's biblical, glorifies the Lord, points people towards Jesus Christ, Paul says, I'll be a fool. I'll be crazy. And sometimes we need to take that step of faith. Just like Jeremiah, just like Ezekiel, and just like Joseph and Mary. When you really stop and think about the Christmas message and what Joseph went through, there's a lot of faith and a lot of trust there. And what an example that is to us to trust and say, Lord, your thoughts, your ways, I don't get, but I trust you. And that's what I'm going to do. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, we don't want to just talk about it. We don't want to underline the verses and just say, neat point. We want to live it. If there's something you're calling us to do that is almost foolish, almost crazy, thank you for being a God that works with fools and works with crazy people. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for doing things that are so out of the ordinary and out of the box. Lord, we thank you for that. And in this Christmas season, over the next couple of days, help us to realize the crazy thing you're asking us to do is just to represent you to people. Go before all things. And Lord, just tonight with Christmas Eve service, you know, some weather coming, your hand to be upon that. You're sovereign. We trust you. And we just pray that you go before all things in your name. Amen.